Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to look into your word and to study it more deeply. Uh, thank you, Lord, that you have revealed your truth to us, Father God, so we may follow after you. So, Father God, I pray you to open up our ears and our hearts this morning, be able to receive your message, and Lord, that you would bless us with, with its words and challenge us as well. We pray us in Jesus' name. Amen. If you turn with me inside your Bibles, then to the Gospel of Matthew. I feel like it's always a celebration when we move on to the next chapter. We're on chapter 7, so after all that time in chapter 6, we're finally moving on to chapter 7, and actually taking a small portion of Scripture again. After last week, we took that huge chunk. Today, we're taking just a small uh, portion of Scripture, and uh, we're in Matthew chapter 7. We're looking at just verses 1 and 2. That's page 685 inside of your pew Bibles, 685, and again, it's Matthew chapter 7. Verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> it reads, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So judge not, lest ye be judged. That's our topic for today. And this is, one of the most abused sayings, used and abused sayings of our day uh, by the church, by the world, and by pretty much every individual, great or small, that's ever been caught in some form of scandalous activity. And in all fairness, though, uh, when we start judging and condemning people for the things they have done, we often fail to think about what we would have done under similar circumstances, with similar experiences leading up to it, and uh, all the baggage that they might have uh, in their past. So let's go ahead and get into it. Do not judge. So I got this particular story, and I've modified it some, because I couldn't recall it perfectly, but I got this story from Pastor Chuck Swindoll, and it's about a faithful church down south that happened to be cursed uh, with a judgmental <laughs> church gossip. And her name was Marjorie. And people feared Marjorie because in a small town uh, like theirs, word spreads really fast. And Marjorie is always itching to be the first one to get the scoop on any particular story so that she could get it out there from her perspective. One day she happened to meet her match, an older fella named Bob. When Bob moved into town, he started attending the same southern country church, and admittedly, Bob was actually kind of boring. He, there wasn't very much that was exciting about him, and so that made him kind of a challenge for Marjorie. Marjorie saw something, however, that gave her the dirt on Bob. She announced to the people within the church that Bob is an alcoholic. She told her fellow churchgoers, I saw his truck parked in front of the bar last night, and it was there the whole night. So Marjorie gathered up the church leadership as a witness against Bob to approach him, and then one day they did approach him, and they said, Bob, you need to repent. We saw your truck in front of the bar the other night, and you need to flee from your addiction and turn to Jesus. Bob actually didn't say anything. He just kind of nodded his head, and then he turned around, and he walked away. So word, kind of a strange response to such an accusation. Now, what the people didn't know was that Bob's truck had broken down. 
and the bar just happened to be the nearest place that he could push his truck in and leave it there overnight. Had nothing to do with alcoholism, had nothing to do with drinking, just so happens that was the best place for him to keep his car over the night. So Bob did not say a word about their accusation. Instead, one night, he drove his truck over to Marjorie's house, parked it in front, and walked home. He left his truck there the whole night. <laughs> Marjorie learned her lesson. <laughs> but then we have to get back to how this applies to us. It isn't really about Marjorie, of course. The question is about us. And it's a funny story that illustrates a really great point, that things aren't always as they seem. So why are we so quick to jump to conclusions on everything? Like this moment right here, why, why was her mind, saw his truck at the bar, so he must be an alcoholic. Well, Jesus said, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Those are powerful words. I would dare to say even sort of frightening words. It should really make us reflect on our lives and the relationships we have with others. How often do we judge them in hopes that we are just a little bit better than what they are? Because when we're honest with ourselves, that's what it's really about. It's the old one-up. We want to be just a little bit better than each and every person. It goes back to the advice I was given. Uh, if I were to ever run into a bear, I'm sure you've probably begin, been given the same advice that if you're ever chased by a bear, you don't have to be faster than the bear. You just have to be faster than the person running beside you, <laughs> right? So you just need to be faster than the person running beside you. And often we think that the measure of righteousness is not a matter of hitting the mark. It's not a matter of measuring up to God's standard. We make it a matter of being better than the person sitting next to us at church or at work or that lives next door to us. And we're fairly selective about our criteria. I saw Kurt and Becky looking at each other. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, we were selective with our criteria. Uh, somebody you know might be the shining example of purity from your perspective at first. And you see that. And the problem is that you do see that very clearly. So when we see them get frustrated or hear about a bad decision that maybe they made or we see the dysfunction inside of their family, we say, aha, I knew it. Well, they're not so pure anymore now, are they? And whatever you think of such a person, here's the news. It doesn't matter, right? That it really doesn't matter. Whatever that person is going through, is truly between him or her and God. So we don't need to get into people's stuff. And why do we care about people's stuff so much anyway? Unless they bring their stuff to us, it's better most of the time, most of the time, to stay out of it. Rather, we should pray for them. And if they ask for help, that we offer them help. Now let's take a moment Step back from that and take a little closer look at the text itself. And maybe some related scriptures as we get going here too. 
So we want to know what Jesus was saying, but also what Jesus was not saying here. And we're quick to latch on to the fact that Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. But what is our instinct whenever we hear, do not judge or you too will be judged? What we say is, well, that's fantastic. That means you can't judge me and you can't judge me. And you, 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 you all can't judge me because Jesus said, if you judge, you too will be judged. Ah, amazing grace. How sweet the sound. And then we forget about the part that says that saved a wretch like me. <laughs> so there is very clearly some sort of discernment, some sort of judgment that is indeed going on. But it says that I should not be judging everybody else. That's what it's really saying. Jesus never said that you and I can't be judged. He was commanding us not to judge others. And with all the different ideas of what this passage could mean, I thought it would be a good idea to figure out what does it mean to judge within this context. So I decided to look up the Greek word for judge as it is in this context, and it's the word krino. And uh, it didn't dis disappoint me at all with its meaning. It actually means exactly uh, as it as we take it within that context. But just in case we need any clarification, uh, words might be synonymous with crino in our language. Language are condemn, conclude, punish, avenge, damn, decree, determine, esteem, judge, ordain, call into question, to sentence, or to think. So no surprises there. It means pretty much what you and I would think. What about the command, do not judge? Does that mean that we do not even consider the wrongs that other people happen to do? We're able to get onto the right track, I think, with this if we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We get a fairly surprising answer to this question. I would say maybe not a surprising answer, but we do get some depth to this idea of what it means to judge. And it's 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 5. I've been looking up in the Pew Bible real fast. Maybe I can give you a page number if that helps out too. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 5 within the Pew Bibles. Oops, I went way. Well, no, I didn't. Yeah, it's just number weird. <laughs> 6, 1 through 5, and that's page 809 in the Pew Bibles. 809. So 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 5. If any of you has a dispute with another, do you dare to take it before the ungodly for judgment instead of before the Lord's people? Or do you not know that the Lord's people will judge the world? And if you are to judge the world, are you not competent to judge trivial cases? Do you not know that we will be that we will judge angels? How much more are the things of this life? Therefore, if you have disputes about such matters, do you ask for a ruling from those whose way of life is scorned in the church? I say this to shame you. Is it possible that there is nobody among you wise enough to judge a dispute between believers? So, in 1 Corinthians, it is talking about judging within the context of a dispute, okay? Nonetheless, someone is expected to make a judgment regarding who was right and who was wrong, and what sort of compensation needs to happen afterward. Also within the context, this is a matter between believers. And so we see there's actually tiers of how we are to be discerning in situations like this. This is a matter that's between believers. And it appears as though there's some sort of a structure 
regarding how to handle such a dispute. Within the body of Christ, within the formal sense, when there's definitely a case where someone has committed sin or wronged someone, a judgment needs to be made, and things do need to be made right, because that's how we maintain relationships. That's how it is that we continue to have peace among our congregation. And when it comes to outside of the church, outside of the boundaries of the community of the saints, we don't judge the world of non-believers. Of course, you know, we know what's right and wrong. We know what not to follow and what it is that they do that's good and what it is that they do that's bad. But we don't make judgments on them. They don't have Jesus, and so they don't have that guiding light. In fact, I'm surprised that non-believers do anything that's good for that matter because they don't have the, the authority upon our lives that's given to us through the Scriptures and that we know through the Holy Spirit as well. So we acknowledge that they operate on false principles, false morals, and an incorrect worldview, but we don't hold that against them. They don't have Jesus and can't know any better. Furthermore, when it comes to our fellow believers, we do not look at them, whether inside the church or outside, and say something like, Man, what kind of rags is that guy wearing? He must be involved in drugs or something. When he comes to church, I think that we should probably make him sit in the back, right? God does not like favoritism. He doesn't look at the externals. He looks at the internals. And we should not make snap, to, uh, snap judgments in matters that are truly none of our business. And why is that? Because in Matthew 7-2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the same measure you use it, uh, with the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. In Matthew 18, Jesus told a parable about a servant who owed a great debt to a king, and no matter what this servant did, there was just no way that he could pay off this debt. He could sell everything that he owned. And there is no way he could pay the king back for his debt. And so we went before the king and begged and pleaded for mercy from the king that he forgive this debt. And the king complied, wiped it clean. Next thing we know within this story, what happens is that this servant finds a fellow servant that owed him a few pieces of silver. And this fellow servant could not pay him back those few pieces of silver. And so he becomes violent toward him, says he even goes and chokes him and demands that he gives him this silver. And because this fellow servant could not provide that silver to him, he had him thrown into prison. Well, to the dismay of this unmerciful servant, word got back to the king. You could imagine the king wasn't too happy. The king said, I was merciful to him. How could he not be merciful to his fellow servant? So he took this servant that he showed mercy to and had him thrown into prison and tortured. In God's sight, we are all in debt to him. But he has forgiven that debt through the blood of his son, Jesus. And no matter what sin that we've committed in the past, the sentence is always death. So no matter what sin we'd ever committed in our past, the sentence would be death. It's a price that we cannot pay without eternal consequences. But God 
took care of it. He forgave that debt. So, if we judge someone in an unfair manner or fail to extend forgiveness, we are like the unmerciful servant. He didn't deserve to be forgiven, but the king did it anyway. And if we fail to show mercy, how can we expect our king to show mercy to us? Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the good king, Lord, that you sent your son Jesus to the cross to die for our sins because you saw the world and its guilt and you knew the consequence and you knew that you could not have fellowship with darkness as we have, as we have dwelt in deep darkness. But through your son's blood, you've forgiven that debt. You've brought us into the light. And Lord, you expect us to extend mercy and forgiveness to one another as well. So Father God, I pray that we would examine our hearts today, that we would think about the people that maybe we have judged too harshly, or that maybe we judge too quickly. And help us, Lord, to have a different perspective on them. Transform our hearts to not jump to quick conclusions about people. Help us, Lord, to forgive the even wicked things that people have done, whether it be just personally in their own lives or done against us. Help us, Lord, to be forgiving of those debts. Father God, we praise you that you are so loving toward us. And we pray that that love would be, uh, that that love would be expressed in our lives as well. We praise the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.